Podcastle episode 157 for May 14th, 2011. As Below, So Above by Ferret Steinmetz. Rated R for violence. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm Ann Leckie. There's squid in today's story. Squid are pretty amazing, don't you think? Now, normally, being who I am, regular listeners are waiting for this, I'm sure, I would now tell you cool things I know about squid. How their ancestors, who were here long before the dinosaurs, used to have shells. Or maybe I'd talk about their eyes, or their color-changing abilities. Or I could talk about the kraken, the legendary giant sea monster squid, and how real-life giant squid compare. Really, with squid, I'm spoiled for choice, because squid are just awesome and cool. But instead, I'm going to get something off my chest. Something I've been dying to say for quite some time. It's not a major irritant. It's not anything that spoils my day. It's just one of those things that whenever I think about it, it annoys me. So, here goes. Ready? Squid don't have bones. They are invertebrates. They have this thing called a cuddle bone, but it's not a bone. It's the last remnant of the shells their ancestors had. There, I feel better already. Today's story is As Below, So Above by Ferret Steinmetz. Ferret's been published in Asimov's twice, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Good Magazine, Shimmer, and Andromeda Spaceways In-Flight Magazine, among others. Oh, and he'll have a story in Giganotosaurus later this year. He lives in Cleveland with his wife, a well-worn copy of Rock Band, and a friendly ghost. As Below, So Above originally appeared in issue number 56 of Beneath Ceaseless Skies. We couldn't possibly run a story involving giant sentient squid without asking Norm Sherman to read it. Norm, of course, hosts the Drabblecast and is a co-host of our sister cast, Escape Pod. He doesn't really need any more introduction, so let's get cracking. As Below, So Above by Ferret Steinmetz Up at the shimmering edge of the sky, where the water met the air, Sun spread his tentacles out beneath the terrible shadow of his father. They were waiting for the ships. Sun felt the approaching heart thrum bouncing off the coral-crusted hulls below as the ships crested the pain wall. Are you sure you should do this, father? Sun thought. He twisted his mantle around to gaze at the scarred stumps of his father's tentacles. You've trained me so well. There'd be no shame in letting me take this harvest. My name, thought Two-Father, his beak clacking shut with the finality of a ship's hull crunching into stone, is Two, formerly One. It is a name I earned, one murder at a time, and I will carry out the harvest until Dismas decides I am no longer worthy. He flexed his tentacles experimentally, then added, Perhaps he already has. Don't say that, Father, thought Son. Dismas could not ask for a worthier beast. He must heal you. Two-father's great blue eye was clouded, his suckers cracked and shrunken. His remaining tentacles, once as nimble as a school of fish, were stiff and slow. It was the same disease that had struck one mother just before her end. Sun rippled uneasily in the water, trying to imagine what Two-father had done to warrant such an affliction. He tried to envision life without Two-father. No more chasing games around the cavern-filled ring that surrounded Dismas's great spire. No more competitions of Hunt the Shark. And he shuddered water uneasily from his gills. 
Ah, son, thought Two-Father, reaching down to stroke the sensitive tips of his feeling tentacles across the sun's head fin. Dismas has given me so many gifts. This pain is a small price to pay. That was Two-Father's way. Every day he sang the hymns of praise to Dismas, thanking the Sky Father for his former wife, for the great feasts, for the beauty of the playgrounds of the ring, for the strength and power of his wondrous son. Son sang, too, but secretly he prayed for Dismas to forgive Two-Father, or at least tell them what Two-Father had done. Two-Father never missed a harvest, even though they came at all times these days, arriving without warning in greater and greater numbers. Why would Dismas make him weak? when he needed to be strong. Worse, Sun suspected he knew why. But how could he tell Two-Father? My only regret, thought Two-Father, is that you have never met him. If you did, you would understand everything. Now still yourself, the ships arrive. Two-Father twitched with eagerness. Sun knew he would have launched himself at the ships immediately, were it not for the billowing mesh of the pain wall. Not even Two-Father could bear to approach that agony. Not that he would, for Dismas had marked the edge of the world with a net, and Dismas was never to be questioned. Sun froze at the approach of the ships, trying to entangle the jumble of heart hums that drummed against his skin. There were five of them. Once, that would have been a large pack, but these days the ships came in such droves that five was nearly a respite. As the pack crested the netting of the pain wall, they split off and away from Two-Father, circling around towards the spire above the sky. The crops, scuttling across the flattened tops of the ships like pink parasites, must have seen Two-Father's shadow in the water. Sun looked up and realized with horror that Two-Father's skin was still a mottled pink, still marked with the black fist that Dismas had tattooed into his flesh. Two-Father's ability to shift colors had left him. Stay low to avoid their fire jelly, father. Sun rocketed toward the hull of the two ships, heard the hiss of harpoons plunging into the waters. Beware their nets, their axes. I taught you how to harvest, son, Two-Father assured him. I know my lessons. But Sun wasn't sure. The ships now not only came in greater numbers, but they were unpredictable, evolving new defenses. Sun squeezed billows of black ink around the ship to mask his approach, remembering what Two-Father had told him. Always curl your tentacles around the front, never in the back where the whirling tail blades lie. Never rest your tips on the deck, lest they chop off the ends of your sensing limbs. And should you brush against a long, thin tube of metal, draw away quickly before it squirts fire. Every day, though, there were new lessons to be learned. New ships brought new weapons, and Two-Father did not learn quickly. Sun positioned himself under the ship, spreading his tentacles out to caress the hull's curve. Barbed harpoons showered down from above, hooked deep into his flesh, tagged cruelly. He ignored the pain to stroke the curved hull with his long sensor limbs, seeking the ship's heart hum. Two-Father believed in brute strength. He could afford to. He dwarfed the ships, could pull them apart four at a time. But Sun was smaller, barely wide enough to stretch around a hull. He'd had to learn cunning. He swept the thin tips of his feeler limbs across the ship's barnacle-crusted skin, triangulating the vibrating. His tentacles blazed with pain. Sun keened and came back uncoiled, fell away in a slack-limbed tangle. He retreated, the anguish lessened but did not abate. Agony radiated out from the ship in jagged pulses. That's the pain wall, Sun thought, cringing in terror. 
These ships are like touching the pain wall. He attempted to master his quivering tentacles, but they shrank away from their own volition. He'd never seen a pain wall ship before. It was the worst thing he'd ever felt. It's another test, son, called Two-Father, grasping two ships between his vast tentacles. But Son saw Two-Father's suckers blackening. Dismas wants to see if we are worthy. Son cared not a whit about Dismas. But if there was any chance that Dismas might find his father worthy and possibly heal him, Son pressed his tentacles to the pain ship. His suckers burned. Before, the water had been safe. The ships could only create fire up above the sky, and though the blisters were horrid when they sprayed their fire jelly on your tentacles, you could avoid it if you were quick. Son forced himself against the fire. He squeezed one of his smashing limbs into a ball and punched down through the top of the deck. He clamped his beak against the pane as he rummaged around the interior. He forced his tentacles through the stairways, out through the caverns filled with the small-boned crops inside, each clutching fire tubes. He was hunting for the ship's heart. And there it was, a thumping thing with a white-hot canister of steam at the center. He wrapped his seeking limb around the heart. The creak of torn metal filled the water as he hauled it up by its roots. The pain ebbed. The water tasted of ink and oil. There were tiny cries and yells from the crops still within the ship. They buried their axes into his tentacles. He smashed them against the walls, then slithered his limb out. The ship was dead, floating dumbly above the sky. He could shuck the tiny specks of meat out at his leisure. Will that convince you, Dismas? He wondered, gulping down a few wriggling crops to regain his strength. Then he sucked in fouled water and exhaled it, jetting over to the sister ship. It crackled to life, flooding him with burning torture, but he wrestled it to one side and toppled it over into the water. He heard another keen. Two-father was screaming. Two-father never screamed. Through bloodied water, Sun saw him, still struggling to crush the two ships in his limbs. Between the agony of the pain ships and Two-Father's dreadful affliction, he hadn't the strength to crumple their hulls, and now he was caught between both ships. The third ship was backing into him, ramming its whirling tail blades into his flesh. One mother had died the same way, a weakness that led to slaughter. Sun crested his mantle above the sky and roared. The crops on the ships turned to look at him, their light flesh turning even paler. Then he rushed at the blade ship that was carving his father to pieces, flung himself above the sky and into the void, landing on the deck with a strength he'd never believed possible. He lashed out with his limbs in all directions. The pain ship stung him deep, but he felt nothing but rage. We beat your challenges, he screamed. We suffer for Dismas. We deserve peace. His fury would have done one mother proud. When he was done, the three ships were jagged chunks. The sky border was dotted with struggling crops, churning the water beneath them, hoping to swim their way to Dismas's lair. The shipwreckage bubbled its way down into the black water to clank against the coral below. The bottom of the ring was lined with layers of old ships, proof of the fierce years of devotion that two father, and once one mother, had given to Dismas. Why would Dismas blight a beast so faithful and constant? Son's gills sucked in the sour scent of his father's blood. Are you all right? he asked, knowing that Two-Father wasn't. Three more of his tentacles were stumps now, and there was a ragged, cavernous gash that corkscrewed through the center of Dismas's mark. Bits of his father pulsed within. We must. 
We must harvest, said Two Father, woozily scooping up a few remaining crops and swirling them around. Find the still remaining crops, devour them, let not a one set foot upon Dismas's shore. Sun wanted to argue, but there was no use. He ate the waves clean. Did I ever tell you how you were hatched, son? said Two Father, curling against the protective walls of the coral caves. I can't remember. Sun groomed his father's exposed skin, using the delicate tips of his seeking limbs to pluck the harpoons from his father's wrinkled flesh. The cave was his gift to him, carefully assembled from the bulwarks of harvested ships, crushed into a canopy to make a fine and dark resting place. Sun had heard the tale of his own birth a thousand times before, but he never tired of it. No, father, he said, tugging an axe from his father's skin. Tell me. Two father's cloudy blue eye grew cloudier. Sun felt him sinking back against the coral as if to sleep and anticipated he would slumber, but instead two father thought at him in a low, happy tone. Your mother, thought two father, ruled me with tentacles of iron. I was one, the first, before she arrived and made me two. She was monolithic, a beast fit to end the world, and it was only because of Dismas's mark that she did not devour me. I remember, father, thought son. Son had never liked one mother. She was so large she could have gulped him down without chewing, and she'd tried to. Son had no mark of Dismas to protect him from her endless hunger, and it was only thanks to two father's constant interventions that he had not wound up in mother's gullet. What? thought two father. Oh, yes, of course you do. But she came to me one day and said, I have eggs, you will fertilize them. And so I did, spraying my life essence around her, and she drank of it and squatted her first clutch of eggs on the black sand. Soon a miracle arrived, a ship that sailed under the edge of the sky. We knew a miracle of Dismas because it bore Dismas's mark upon it, the black fist, so one mother could not eat it though she certainly longed to. Two-father clacked his beak in weak amusement. And Dismas's ship searched out that clutch of eggs and squirted his own life essence upon it, a jelly so potent it stung our eyes and swelled shut our squirting valves. The next day, all the eggs were dead. Not a one of them was strong enough. The next year your mother once again commanded me to mate, and once again Dismas's ship emerged to fertilize the eggs, and once again they all hardened and cracked and the tides carried them out beyond the pain wall. But the year after that Dismas's ship came, and out of thousands of eggs you alone were the full heir to his power. One mother longed to swallow you, but I told her that if she ate you, she must then devour me, and did she have the strength to swallow so much of Dismas's power? She did not, and so you were hatched and beloved, and the scion of three beasts, each greater than the last. Isn't that a fine thing? Son ran his tongue nervously around the rasp of his beak. It is, father. It surely is. But every time his father told that story, Son wondered. Was Dismas trying to meld his potency with the eggs, or had Dismas tried to kill him? 
Dismas had given him no mark. Dismas had never spoken to him. He tried to tell himself that Dismas didn't exist, was just a figment of Two Father's imagination. Yet something had tattooed that fist upon his father's skin, and so the thought stuck in his mind like a sliver of hull lodged in his beak. Two Father was dying for the sin of son's existence. At Two Father's insistence, Sun still patrolled the ring in an endless hunt for ships, squeezing himself into tight crevices for amusement. But it wasn't much fun without Two Father. The ring encircled Dismas's spire, bordered by the pain walls. No matter where Sun swum within the ring, when he looked up through the rippled edge of the sky, he could see Dismas's spire reaching towards the clouds, a twisted spike of steel and rock. The outline of a great black fist had been carved into its surface. The spire was never silent. It rumbled and clanked and bubbled so loudly Sun could hear the tremors in the water. Occasionally, great beasts shot out from the caves to soar high above the shimmering border, spreading out sail-shaped, fluttering limbs to dart between the clouds. Their beaks shrieked loud caws. Two fathers said that the soaring things were guardian beasts that lived above the edge of the sky, created by Dismas to protect his land above the sky, just as he had created them to live below it. And that made sense, because occasionally, slow-moving, oval-canopied things approached from far beyond the pain walls, firing loud concussive blasts, and the soaring beasts ripped them to shreds. Sometimes Sun waved his tentacles at the soaring beasts and thought at them, but all they did was make those useless cawing sounds. It was like when he'd held the crops in his seeking limbs, beaming thought waves of greeting at them, and all they too had done was make shrill cries. Two fathers said that each beast communicated in secret patterns, except for Dismas, who could speak to all. Sun supposed that Two Father would know. After all, he had been in Dismas's spire once. Sun had never been at all. The ring stretched out and down from the sandy beaches that emanated out from Dismas's spire, all the way out to the fluttering fence of pain walls that marked the edge of the world. Sun had tugged at the pain wall once to test its strength. That was the only time Two Father had hurt him. You do not broach his borders, Two Father had screamed, squeezing Sun so tight he almost burst. Should anyone lay one bit of flesh upon the beaches of Dismas's spire, the world will end. Should we break the pain wall, the world will end. He told me true. Do you want to leave this sacred duty? Shall I tell one mother to treat you like any other fish? No, father, son had cried. Don't let one mother devour me. But one mother was dead, and two father rested now within a cave made from the metal skins of their conquests, regaining his strength. What if Sun were to touch the beach? Dismas had forbidden it, yet Sun's tentacles stretched out of their own volition. He kept pulling them back, one by one, but his limbs had minds of their own. They wanted to brush the shore, to test it. What would just one touch do? Would Dismas appear, raining death upon him? Would the world shimmer and fade? Or worse, would nothing happen at all? and Sun would have proof that Two-Father was mad. Dismas, he thought, if you exist, I dare you to stop me. 
He bunched himself up in preparation for judgment and slithered the tip of his smallest tentacle out to brush against the beach. Nothing happened. Sun clacked his beak in surprised amusement. There was his tentacle, buried in warm sand. Dismas, he thought with satisfaction, was just an illusion. And as he pondered this, he became aware of a hum against his skin. Ships. Two, three, seven, nine. Too many to count. Sun raised his eye up above the edge of the sky and saw an armada of approaching ships, as numerous as fish in a shoal. The air above them roiled with smoke and steam, filled with great gray canopied things that floated towards Dismas's spire. A huge whoop filled the seas, an endless cry that never stopped for breath, and Sun realized that it was coming from the spire. Lights flashed across the spire's face. Soaring beasts shot from the caves, shrieking defiance, and zoomed up towards the canopy ships. Sun could barely think for all the conflicting heart hums, thumping against his skin now, coming at him from all sides, at least a hundred ships in every direction. Two Father tugged at his tentacles. This is it, said Two Father eagerly. Our greatest test. We shall prevail. They didn't. Two father lay, torn as a shredded sail, across piles of freshly broken ships. Why? he asked. Why did I not die? Sun cowered below the edge of the sky, unable to look away. The edge was on fire now, ablaze in wavering hues of orange and black. They had cracked so many ships that the water was coated with slick ship blood, and the collapse at the end of the battle had ignited the world. Everything was lost. Sun floated in circles around the ring, unsure what to do. He should have been in agony, thanks to four severed limbs and a host of bleeding wounds, but he was cushioned by a numb shock of disbelief. Two father and son had crushed pain ships until their tentacles ached, hurled fire ships at mine ships, dragged net ships below water, and still the ships had come, their tubes shooting hot death. Sun had ducked below water to avoid the pain of those tubes. Two-father had roared defiance at the ships, daring them to spray him with fire, mustering his strength to smash all who opposed him into twists of metal. Yet they were only two. Sun had looked back and seen piles of ships aground on the beach. Tiny crops ran up towards Dismas's spire, clutching small fire tubes in their hands. Two-father ran to the border of the beach and slapped the ships into the mud, bellowing for Dismas's forgiveness as he tried to destroy the intruders on the shore. They fought until Sun saw the fullest horror of the day. Dismas's spire, tumbling down in an avalanche of glass and steel. Two-father went as limp as seaweed. Sun had dragged him down under the water for safety, just as the sky burst into a consuming flame. I did this, thought Sun. I lost my faith, and now it's destroyed us. Two-father bubbled blood from a thousand holes, waiting for death. After the apocalypse came the hunt. The ships dropped metal globes from the sky, globes that burned and burst. They scoured the face of the ring, crisscrossing in such numbers that it was impossible to surface. Sun rammed himself against the anguish of the pain walls, frantic for escape, but there was none. Let me die, 
Two-Father thought, struggling to flutter up to the ships. Let Dismas's wrath destroy me and end it. But he was weak, so weak. Sun could tug him back into the protective canopy of their caves. After the hunt came the famine. Once the ships had passed, there were no more harvests. Sun hunted throughout the remains of the ring, crunching shoals of silver fish to bring back to his father, but it wasn't enough to sate his hunger. Two father refused to eat. Instead, he was eaten. Tiny fish nibbled at the rotting flesh that trailed from his fresh stumps, eroding his body. His limbs withered and withdrew. Two father forgot where he was. Dismas made me. His thoughts sounded faint, like echoes. He brought me to life into a tank with a thousand brothers and sisters. He was so huge, he could lift me up on the metal palm of his black fist. And he said, you have all your brothers and sisters, and there is only one way to find who will serve me. I want the strongest. The rest will be food. Go. And so I ate, and ate, and ate, and felt a thousand brethren shrieking in my mind, and I hid when I was too tired to fight, and when I was oh so scared, and when I was done, and devoured them all. He said I was beautiful, and he made me the sea, and the pain walls, and a potent wife to remind me of my place, and that is when Dismas made me. He brought me to life into a tank, with a thousand brothers and sisters. Occasionally, he'd stare straight up at the sky and murmur, My son, my beautiful, powerful son. But he did not respond when Sun spoke. Sun ran in circles around the ring, anywhere to be away from Two-Father. He looked up at the empty hole where Dismas's tower used to be. He scoured the spire's ruins, sifting through the mud and metal beams for signs of divinity. There was nothing, only more machinery, just like the ships he pulled apart, only more rooms filled with the bloated husks of tiny crops and the tattered bodies of the soaring beasts. He slapped his limbs upon the beach, half expecting a pain wall to drop from above and strike him down. Nothing did. All he saw were bizarre beasts lying on the ground, massive things with only four limbs and ripping tusks and scaled skin. They were clearly dead, surrounded by smashed crops and sprays of blood. Had Dismas created these beasts too? What did it all mean? And then Sun felt a fury boiling within him like the heart of a ship. There is no Dismas, he screamed. There is no being in the sky watching us. There is no guilt. There is no reason to be kept here. The pain wall flexed, but held. It mocked him. The ships had come from somewhere, hadn't they? Or did the black waters beyond fade into oblivion, and this was all there was in all the world, a tiny abandoned speck floating in a sea of nothing, with two dying beasts trapped within? If there was a Dismas, he was surely mad. If Sun could wrap his limbs around him, he would squeeze an explanation from him. Why had this lunatic power used them so poorly? After the famine came more famine and despair, and emptiness, but not death, not yet. 
Two Father's skin had shrunk, tugging his tentacles inwards. Two Father wanted to die, but his great heart refused to stop beating. His body was so huge that when it had to start devouring itself, it had vast stores to draw upon. I tried. I tried. Son could not shut his father's voice out. It chased him around the ring, around to the other end of the stunted rock that had once been a spire. Son flattened himself against the pain wall over and over, suckering himself to the strands with a fierce gratitude. Dismas was wonderful. Dismas was horrible. Dismas had given him this great pain to blot out greater pains. With a crackling hum, the pain wall stopped emanating anguish. Sun looked at his limbs in disbelief, wondering what was happening. He plucked at the netting. Nothing. No pain. Another hum danced, faint but unmistakable, across the surface of his skin. A ship coming from the shore. It took Sun a moment to home in on the noise, because ships never went out. They went in, and he harvested them. This reverse direction baffled him, but he dashed off after it regardless, hungry to see something new. It was a very small, battered ship, not sleek like the other ships, but a hull raw with fractures, as though this new, small ship had been cobbled together from scraps. Painted crudely on its side, lacking the elegant grace of Two Father's bold, clean mark, was a black fist. Sun froze. What was this? Should he crack the ship? Let it sail away? Commit the unforgivable sin of destroying one of Dismas's chosen? He poked his head above the edge of the sky. Atop the boat was a tiny crop, clad in a black skin over pink wrinkled skin, wild white hair waving in the wind. The crop seemed oddly confident, his back straight as he sailed towards the pain wall, exposing his teeth to the edge of the sky, as though he owned it. The crop's right hand, however was not made of flesh. It was made of metal, grafted onto the end of the arm. A black hand. It could be him. It must be him. Sun reached out and brought the ship to a halt. The world did not end. Instead, the crop stumbled and fell. It pressed the ship's console and made mouth noises into a small gray wand, and Sun shivered as a new voice boomed in his head. "'Good mercy! You poor thing! How in the world did you survive?' The voice was loud, so much louder than the tiny creature upon the ship. It sounded so surprisingly kind that Sun couldn't think of anything to say. It reached out to stroke the tips of his tentacles. "'You bear many scars here.' "'Yes, like me. They tried to kill us both, you see. They think we're abominations. But we can show them better, can't we?' Are you Dismas? Sun asked. The crop bared its teeth at him. <laughs> of course I am, it said tenderly. You must have been so lonely down there to forget about me. All things should know their God when it speaks to them. Sun felt suddenly afraid. Who's trying to kill us? Everyone, Dismas said, his voice lowered to a whisper. Everyone in the entire world. The idea that a man can create life on his own, with no help from nature, that all their essence can be recreated in a vat. Oh, it drives them mad. <laughs> oh, I've been hounded from one end of the earth to the other. 
When they look at you, little one, they do not see the gleaming luster of your skin or a shimmering golden eye. They see a murderous beast. <laughs> and they see me as, as the madman who brought you into existence. Oh, but we know better, don't we? Dismas kept stroking Sun's tentacles, seeming to draw strength from them. It was a gentle touch, almost the way Sun had plucked hull splinters from Two Father's flesh. It's kismet that we meet, little one. I need a guardian, at least until I can rebuild, and you need a god. Come along. The boat started off. Part of Sun wanted to chase after it, exhilarated to have a purpose, but he could not leave without knowing. What about Two-Father? Two-Father? Oh, that's right, there were two of you. He's served his purpose. Leave him behind. The boat chugged forward merrily. Sun wrapped his tentacles around the ship to stop it. How could Two-Father be so easily forgotten? He was strong. He was faithful. Why did you... You make his eyes bad. Why did you weaken his limbs? Dismas reached out to stroke Sun's tentacles again. But Sun realized it wasn't like his own touch on Two-Father at all. Sun plucked cutlasses from Two-Father's skin to soothe him. Dismas's touch felt like he was stroking something he owned. You poor, ignorant thing. I forgot you aren't capable of understanding. I didn't do anything. Your friend just got old, beast. That's what happens in time to all of us. You get weak, you fail, you die. So heal him. I can't, and there's no sense in wasting time trying. If he's as weak as you say, he can't protect me, and I need protection. Everything dies. At least his death had a purpose. What purpose? He kept me alive. Sun felt an incandescent rage. His tentacles slapped the water. What about the beauty of the encoraled caves we created? What of all the songs we sung, the chasing games we played, the stories we shared? Is all of that just so much wreckage, if we can't keep you alive? I'm proud that my creations can also create, but your ultimate duty is to me. And what makes you better than Two-Father? <laughs> Why, I created him. Dismas said it with confusion, as though he'd never thought another answer would be needed. But some thought of Two-Father, who'd stood up against one mother's terrible anger only once in his life. To protect Son. Everything Two-Father had ever done, right or not, was meant to protect Son. Creating us doesn't mean we owe you. It means you owe us. Dismas looked warily at the tentacles rising around him, then pressed one thin finger against a hidden stud in his metal hand. Oh, I beg to differ. Without me, you would be nothing, and you can be nothing again soon enough. Now I'd hate to slay such a beautiful beast as yourself, but with a touch, I can grant death to anything I've created. So leave your friend behind and follow me. I promise your service will bring you even greater joys than all you have experienced here. Unless, of course, you'd like to see what lies beyond the veil. Yes, thought Sun, clacking his beak. I would. Frowning, Dismas mashed the button on his palm. Puzzled, he pushed it again. Why doesn't it? For the first time, Dismas looked, really looked, at Sun. 
had he finally noticed that Sun had no mark upon him. Dismas's face went wide, and his mouth opened up like all the other crops Sun had devoured, and Sun took a deep pleasure in speaking to his god for the last time. You didn't create me, said Sun, plucking him high off the deck. So what do I owe you? Dismas screamed. It was satisfyingly small. The tides shoved Two-Father around now. The water that spilled in and out of his gills was barely enough to stir mud. Sun floated directly above his cataract eye. Sun? I brought you a gift, Father, Sun thought. I need no gifts. You need this one, thought Sun. Feel. Using the finest of his sensor limbs, he tapped Dismas's metal fist against his father's skin. What is that? Sun held the fist before his father's eye. It was so tiny. This is Dismas's fist. I met him. He gave it to me. Two-father clacked his beak. What did he? He told me... Sun forced fresh water through his gills. He told me that you had done well, that your time here is complete, and if you... if you let go, you will go to a land full of easy crops and gigantic mothers and... and an ever greater spire to protect. But that hand is so small, Sun. Dismas is huge. Was huge, thought Sun to himself, when you were a baby... Sun brushed his tentacles across his father's tattered fin. That is how large you will be, he thought. In the new world, you will dwarf Dismas, dwarf one mother, dwarf everything. You will be the world, father. You will be everything. Ah, said Two Father. It was a small sound packed with a lifetime of hope. And he died. Sun stayed until Two-Father was gone. He held his vigil as the fish attacked Two-Father's corpse, and the corpse became scraps, and the scraps became a haze. It was silly, for he was starving and there was a world of fresh crops out there, but he couldn't leave while his father was still there. You were the world, father, he thought, stirring the waters where the last of his father floated. Father broke apart, indistinguishable from the sea. Sun crushed the fist. Then he squirmed over the edge of the pain wall and disappeared, going beyond the edge of the world to a place where no one knew. And welcome back. We do hope you enjoyed your tour of Dr. Moreau's Island of Adventures with Science and Magic. Please keep your hands, arms, and legs inside at all times. Our guardians are great and growing krakens, and they do get hungry from time to time. Oh dear. I think we just lost someone over the side. Was that poor Billy Harrow? Terrible. Well, hopefully his sacrifices are a gain. Someone make this thing go faster. And someone passed that knacked phaser up this way. Sorry, I've been reading China Mieville's Kraken at bedtime. Can you tell? Everything really is better with tentacular squid monstrosities. Thanks, Ferret, and thanks, Norm. 
The calamari is on us. We're going to go travel to happier times now, or at least lighter ones, and talk over Podcastle 151, Delia Sherman's Wizard's Apprentice, read by the ever-smart and dapper Peter Wood. The story of a not-so-evil wizard who runs a bookstore, the runaway he takes in, and the oh-so-evil uncle who comes after him. This one was generally a crowd-pleaser. Atan said, This one was great fun. It had a delightful way of keeping the reader just one step ahead of Nick and a few steps behind the wizard at all times without ever needing to hold me by the hand. Very, very cool. And Peter Wood's reading was really awesome. Spin Daddy loved it so much he signed up on our forum and poor bastard has been posting ever since. Despite that love, he was a little disappointed that the evil uncle gave up too easily, or that our heroic evil wizards let him off too easily, and said, In my experience, rarely do men so controlling and cruel give up easily on anything they view as their property. Well, thank you very much for those comments. Thanks to everyone who commented on this story. Kind of a fun thing I learned after this one went live, Delia Sherman is working on a novelization of it for YA audiences. I don't know about the rest of you, but I, for one, am looking forward to heading back to Evil Wizard Books. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. All your money goes toward paying our authors so we can continue bringing you kick-ass fantasy week after week. If you can afford a $5 a month donation... We've got something extra special in store as a means of appreciation, and I'll be talking to you about that in a couple weeks. If you can't donate, blog, tweet, tell a friend, write a review on iTunes, feed our Krakens, or all of the above. Thanks. That's our show for this week. On behalf of everyone here at PodCastle, Anne, Peter, Anna, and myself, thanks so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be hitching a ride with you in a week, courtesy of Josh Roundtree. Until then, this is Dave Thompson reminding you, release the podcastle. (laughs) No, I really can't do a Liam Neeson impersonation to save my life. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll see you all next time. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post to your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. H.P. Lovecraft said, The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown.